or online by entering Tanya Day Petition into your browser. There is one newspaper that is independent of powerful interests and that's Green Left Weekly. It's a people's voice committed to human and civil rights, environmental sustainability, democracy and equality. It presents ideas mainstream media won't. It's the leading source of local, national and international news analysis and discussion and debate to strengthen the anti-capitalist movements. It exposes the lies and distortions of the power brokers and helps us to better understand the world around us. Good morning, listeners. You're listening to another week of Radical um, Left Wing Radio, Green Left Weekly Radio, and in the studio we have um, Jacob and, which is myself, and Megan Street. <laughs> I'm Megan. <laughs> um, so, um, yeah, last week we had the radio phone and um, an exciting announcement. Wasn't that a great show? <laughs> um, we reached our target, um, but the radio phone is still going on um, in a sense that we still, you know, want people to, um, if you hadn't donated before, um, we'd definitely like you to donate. Um, yes, the total target is $250,000. So, um, you know, we hope that they get reach their target. If you haven't donated yet, you can actually call, um, maybe call a little later uh, in the day. You can call 94198377 to donate. Or you can visit www.3cr.org.au forward slash donate to donate. Now... <coughs> Um, before we announce what's coming up in our program or and discuss some of the latest headline news, I'd like to acknowledge um, that Free CR today is being broadcast to you from the wandering land of the Kulin Nation. Um, I'd like to pay our respect um, to elders, past and present, and that this always was, um, always will be Aboriginal land. Now, I guess um, some of the headline news. Uh, I guess there's quite there's been quite a number of um, things happening. I guess in terms of um, news, I mean, when we look internationally, um, the 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 Tories um, are currently going for uh, leadership elections in in Britain. Yes, um, the possibility of Boris Johnson. Well, it's looking quite <laughs> likely at this stage. Um, oh no! So it's basically the system is um, kind of works like as in they have they had like thirteen contenders and then. They tally up the votes and then the lowest um, number is eliminated each time and then the same sort of MPs or mm. um, keep um, vote, um, yeah, the same MPs vote for an, in another round and another round. And when I look at the kind of latest round of where um, that is where kind are of we? at, um, I think it's going into, okay, so but right now, um, in the last vote, which had three contenders, um, Johnson, Boris Johnson had 160 votes against 77 for Hunt and 75 for Gove. Now, I guess mm. in term, 
In fact, that's actually not looking very good, actually, <laughs> um, because... I, I just can't imagine it. Um, I mean, because if all the people who voted to. for Gove um, voted for Hunt, I'm not sure if necessarily the votes would be higher than what Boris Johnson would yeah. get. And, of course, there would have been a number there the number of people who voted for Hunt and Gove who, you know, Boris Johnson could be their second preference. Do you know anything about the other two candidates? I'm, I'm not aware of anything about them. Oh, I don't really know anything about them. I think really the I most... I mean, really? What, um, I mean, the most notable one is, um, I think, I forgot his name, the first name of the... Um, let me just remember what... Jeremy Hunt, yes. So Jeremy Hunt is sort of the was sort of the favourite, um, I think, by the mm. more sort of moderate sort of class um, of the Tories um, to win the to win the the Tory leadership. Um, but you know, uh, I think there's not really any meaningful difference between them other than Por- Boris Johnson would yeah. probably be equivalent to Donald Trump. Um, yes. <laughs> in the in the UK, especially considering the role that you know he play. Um, yeah, you know, especially since with Brexit, with Brexit. Yeah. and I guess some other interesting um, things to note is, in in light of the whole kind of crisis around Brexit, and um, is um, one of the one of the interesting things I read in in British politics in in a, in a survey recently was essentially the biggest thing that conservative voters fear or most um, people who identify strongly with Tory or conservative politics, the worst thing they fear is a Jeremy Corbyn prime ministership. Uh, in fact, Brexit actually... Then they should it. vote in Boris Johnston. <laughs> uh, and in fact, they're, they're, their fears are more... Um, yeah, they're, they're, they're concerned about Brexit and the ramifications about that. I mean, there are some in these people that, you know, support um, Brexit being implemented with a mm. hard Brexit. But, you know, it's quite interesting that, you know, the thing that they fear the most is Jeremy Corbyn getting elected as Prime Minister. <laughs> that is sort of like, and I think it's sort of telling where where kind of like the, the balance. Am I allowed to call Boris a lurching, dishevelled buffoon on radio? Oh, <laughs> well, okay? I, think it, uh, I think it's best not to call him any okay. names. <laughs> well, I didn't then. <laughs> now, um, I guess the, the 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 next kind of news um, we're talking—is there any kind of news you would like to share, Megan? Uh, I mean, there's not, a, a article on, on the Stop Adani campaign latest green left weekly. Yes, um, I think maybe we should go into that a little bit later. But um, there is actually an Extinction Rebellion um, action that's happening at 5:30 on Burke Street today in. Melbourne, so mm. um, we should talk a little bit about that, you know, maybe a little bit about where the movement's going, etc. Um, was there anything else that you wanted to speak about? Um, not, well, um, just getting, I'll, I'll play just a quick announcement and then we'll get to, um, some news ready for the next, um, for, for the next discussion. Oh, but just to tell you what's coming up in our program, um, I, we're gonna, we're hopefully gonna be playing a speech from, uh, a seminar that happened, um, that Green Left Weekly and Social Science had organised over the weekend. Um, we're hoping to play one of the speeches, um, as soon as I figure out how, how it all works. <laughs> um, and then we'll have an interview with Karen Fletcher, who is a board member of Flat Out and a community lawyer with the Fitzroy Legal Service to talk about sort of the political issue Political issues kind of surrounding prisons, um, especially mm-hmm. how in 
terms of what the Victorian government is doing and so on. And then we're going to hopefully we'll link in with um, the 24-hour public housing vigil that's happening outside Parliament House right now. So that's what we got and kind of got lined up for the program. So we got um, and but then we'll also have plenty of news and current affairs in between all that. Um, so I'll just play a quick announcement and then we'll move on to a few more headline stories um, before moving on to um, some of the some of the things we've got. Uh, This is Irene Bolger, former Secretary of the Nurses' Federation in Victoria. Throughout the nurses' dispute in 1986 and the waterfront dispute in 1998, 3CR was always there, broadcasting the voices of workers in struggle. You're listening to 3CR Community Radio and we're broadcasting live from the Bay to Chicken Strike here in Melbourne. We've just seen all of the thousands of nurses walk through to their meeting and people from different unions showing their solidarity. 3CR. Radio for the workers, by the workers, since 1976. All right, you're listening to Green Left Weekly Radio. Um, uh, it's 7.09 a.m. Now, I guess one of the news stories I wanted to kind of um, share is um, former Liberal Senator Cory Bernardi is, um, <laughs> is contemplating his political future after deciding to deregister his party that he formed, splitting from the Liberal Party, um, the, Australian, Cons- the Australian Conservatives. Conservatives. Yes, okay. <laughs> um, so he's he's been disappointed with um, their less than stellar performance in um, in the federal election I think you know from <laughs> from the brief chats I've, I had with some Australian Conservative volunteers on um, at the pre-polling booth I think their their ambition was to get um, was was to get a Senate spot um, in the federal parliament in any of the any of the five or six or any of the states um, mm. um, in 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 Australia and um you know it's clear that you know Corey Bernardi is sort of like you know um found that their performance was less than stellar and then decided to deregister the entire party and it's sort of interesting actually because you'd think that um you know a lot of a lot of for any political party um to the process of deregistering it is actually you know quite a strenuous and a democratic yeah. process um you would have to um I, I know for you know a party like the Greens or the Labor Party or even a small party like um, possibly Animal Justice Party, um, I'm pretty sure that it's not left to just one, one person, person who it, it can would just, have to be a democratic process. Yes, yeah. it would have to be some kind of democratic process, um, whether whether the democratic process is considered valid or not, or you know it. It, it would be far more democratic than the idea that just one person who just set up can a party can pack up this ball and go home. <laughs> and you know, you, you never know. There could have been some people who were engaged with the yeah. with um, the party as a political project, even though you know the political project's not a necessarily good one. But it's, well, no, it's an awful one. <laughs> uh, but you know, it's just it's just kind of fascinating. And also, I just think this is just a kind of amusing story. It was a but really guess, nice one to wake up to. Actually, but I guess the good news yeah. is there's one less sort of right wing. Party and um, I guess one of the problems with um, Australian Conservatives was it was basically it was a split off party from the Liberal Party because mm. um, Cory Bernardi didn't find the Liberal Party conservative enough. He actually said that they were moving too far to the left. The Liberal Party was moving too far to the left. But you know, in his sort of classic, um, 
you know, you know, you know, in a classic kind of um thing, is um apparently I've heard that Corey Bernardi is actually looking to see if he can rejoin the Liberal Party, oh, and then a senior Liberal Party official, you know, said something along the lines that then you know they're not necessarily they it's not necessarily impossible that he could. He couldn't rejoin the Labour Party. So I, I think he was saying something like, "Now that um, Scott Morrison's the leader, it, you know, it's moved back where he prefers the um, <laughs> the politics of the Liberal Party to be." But I, I think it was in question on whether he was actually going to um, continue with his um, his stint as a politician uh, and and you know. Uh, do his his stint three years as an independent or whatever, but okay, so maybe he'll become a liberal again. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Although I'm not sure if they he will get he will safely get pre-selected again, but you never know. Mm. Yes. I mean, uh, uh, yeah. So. Yeah. And um, Megan, you wanted to share a new story? Um, actually, uh, well, I do want to share Zane's story, but I will a little bit later. But um, I, I'm very interested in this story that's unfolding um, at the moment. It's, uh, you know, that German boat captain um, who faces about 20 years in prison for saving the refugees? Um, there's an article in the latest Green Left Weekly about that. So this German boat captain, um, Pia Klemp, uh, is facing a long and costly trial in Italy for charges targeting her humanitarian efforts on behalf of refugees. Uh, so Pia um, told Basler Zutung in June 7, on June 7th that her upcoming trial, uh, that her upcoming trial for years of efforts with the civilian lifeboat um, in Uventa uh, that saved at least a thousand lives will take years and hundreds of thousands of dollars. Um, so she saved um, these uh, refugees out at sea. And um, I think under maritime law, you're actually legally required to provide assistance to anyone who is in distress or need, needing help. Um, I think what they're trying to do is they're trying to get her on the fact that she brought these um, refugees to Italy, which is the nearest landmass, which we we would tend to do. Um, so, she, yeah, she faces up to 20 years in prison. But whether or not she ends up in jail, she would challenge any conviction in the European Court of Human Rights in Strasbourg if necessary, which is absolutely um, what she should do. Um, and she said, the worst has already come to pass. Uh, sea rescue missions have been criminalised. And that's right. It's the criminalisation of compassion. So on the one hand, I mean, even from a legal perspective, on the one hand, maritime law absolutely states that you must provide assistance in times of need to any other um, seafarer, right? And then now we have the idea of, well, if you've rescued these thousand people, what do you do with them? You can't take them anywhere because then you risk getting happening. You know what Pia's had happened to her. She is going to be. Um, char- she has been charged. So what do you do with these people that you rescue? <laughs> it's an interesting legal conundrum, but it's also a terrible, terrible um, uh, approach to compassion. We have criminalised compassion. What do we do with these refugees? And as the situation, you know, the political situations, the environmental situations get worse around the world, we are going to have more refugees and this is going to come up more and more. And I am watching with bated breath on what happens with Pia because, um, you know, th- this is absolutely ridiculous. A 20-year sentence for saving a 1,000 souls. So, yeah, yeah, I'm watching that for unfold. There's also a similar case um, happening, I'm pretty sure, in the UK or one European or a particular European country. But there was a group of, there was a group of activists um, who um, refused, um, 
who basically refused to bought like they're basically in protest refused to get off um an airplane that was flying off um or refused to board per se um to um in order to support um to stop a refugee from being deported by plane and um some of these um activists are actually facing the possibility of jail time for that um and it's sort of like it's a it's one of the classic things um about our capitalist economic system in a sense that <laughs> there's always a, there's always this deliberate attempt of there's always this deliberate attempt you know whether they mm. whether they've um they've criminalized sort of compassion in this kind of legal sense of standing up against the border regime or there's also the the kind of thing that happens when you know people you know protest um in in support of you know refugees and standing mm. up against racism or standing up against sexism where they're always sort of vilified and etc in in the media yep. by the politicians and that was sort of like you know I remember the classic thing was with the the school strikers where Scott Morrison went um you know spoke out against some literary impairment and how they, they should, should be go- going back to school and not protesting they should be learning yeah yeah so they, 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 there's all these yeah. kind of deliberate attempts to be provided as barriers and I think that's this kind of story is just one of the other examples of, of type of barriers that get put up um, to stop people from standing up and taking action. Absolutely and but look history um, tends to show that when people stand up against injustice after the fact and after this event has happened you know give it some time we see a lot of these people as heroes um, you know, a, a lot of people who've stood up against, um, you know, oppressive regimes and, and terrible um, policies have been held as heroes years later. Um, but in the time that they did these things, they were vilified, they were charged with, you know, whatever trumped up charges, etc. It's really interesting to watch. Yeah, but I think Pia hopefully will be, um, we'll not have, we'll have the charges dropped and, and this sort of thing will continue to to happen she'll you know continue to save people it's just ridiculous that she's being targeted mm. yeah. okay i might just go play a quick announcement i've got another news story to, um, to share from the international sphere help freesia support the rights of indigenous australians they mean to save our culture and save our dreams, our footprints, dreams, our songline and keep our culture going strong. Of course, a lot of the Aboriginals, having been stolen, were put into state care and also others The recognition were... of what our people have been through in the last 200 years, the recognition of our culture in the last 40,000 years and the recognition of where we are heading into the future. Welcome to uh, Survival Day, Invasion Day. 223 years ago, the white man landed on our shores. Subscribe to 3CR and help keep Indigenous voices on air. Call us on 94198377 or visit 3cr.org.au. Subscribe now. 3CR are selling kafir Palestinian starves in support of the last factory that produces them in Hebron, Palestine. All profits will be donated to the reconstruction efforts in Gaza and support Palestinian industry. These are traditional scarves available in red and black, or you can choose from a modern design. Go to 3cr.org.au slash shop to buy online or drop into the station during business hours.
Okay, um, you're listening to Green Left Weekly Radio. And now another story I want to kind of share or talk, um, discuss is um, the recent protests that have been happening in Hong Kong, um, mm, which yeah. have been absolutely kind of massive. Um, and maybe um, sort of um, we weren't... One sort of way I wanted to kind of I wanted to start by sort of reading out this um, statement that's actually been actually been initiated by the Socialist Party of Malaysia, um, and um, which is a left wing organisation in Malaysia. In fact, we've had a number of them as guests on our on our program. And anyway, they've released this sort of statement that's been signed on by all sorts of progressive and left groups, um, including a number in Australia. And the statement kind of reads out, um, stop police brutality in Hong Kong, no extradition to um, China. And it starts off, we, the undersigned organisations, are deeply concerned about the high-handed approach by the Hong Kong government in dealing with the recent mass protests against the proposed extradition. Oh, how do you pronounce Extradition. Extradition bill. Um, we condemn um, the use of unprecedented excessive force by the Hong Kong police in dispersing and arresting protesters. Um, the use of tear gas, pepper spray, rubber bullets and beanbag rounds, as well as beating up unarmed protesters, have caused injuries to many. Such brutally, brutality is unacceptable. Um, despite the massive peace dem- peaceful demonstration on June, 9th of June, the largest since <coughs> the handover of Hong Kong to China, the Hong Kong government, led by Kari Lam Shon Yuti Noga, continues to ignore the demands of the people. In fact, the refusal of the Hong Kong government to listen to the people's demands and its insistence in pushing the extradition bill has ignited and expanded the protests. And they write here that in recent years, the shrinking of political space and Hong Kong governments, um, increasingly aggressive behaviour and curtailing civil and p- political freedom has become a worrying trend in Hong Kong. Many political dissidents and activists have been targeted for arrest and selected persecution with various allegations. The erosion of democratic freedom in Hong Kong also st- instills the fear that Hong Kong is losing its unique autonomy with the expansion of Beijing's political control over the city. Deterioration of political freedom will definitely hinder efforts to tackle social inequalities in a city with a widening wealth gap. Hong Kong is the only city which can still freely commemorate the June 4th um, massacre to protect Hong Kong's autonomy is thus not only the concern of the people of Hong Kong, but also of all the people in China. We urge the government of Hong Kong to withdraw the proposed extradition bill, stop the violence against peaceful protesters, stop repression and persecution of political actors, and we stand in, um, with the people of Hong Kong and express our solidarity with their fight to defend their political freedom and economy. So, yeah, that's a, just the statement read out. Um, but a few other kind of developments since then. Um, the protests, I think, as far as I know, are still continuing. In fact, there was a really massive yeah, one. Yeah, a massive one with about, um, I think it was one in four, it's about 25% of the population yeah, so of, Hong 25 Kong of Hong Kong. Yeah, and, and that um, was on the 16th of June, I believe. On the 16th of June. And um, I think it's getting to sort of the point where they are going to, push, um, withdraw the bill. I guess a bit of, interesting enough, I'm doing a bit of reading and a bit of the po- political background is a bit complicated, um, I think. In, mm. in fact, it's sort of interesting, um, you know, the na- the na- the, this would be kind of a political issue that would, um, sort of mobilize people. But I guess my analysis of, um, of the issues kind of at hand is Hong Kong is a sort of strange kind of city, um, in a sense that mm. it was previously, um, you know, it was previously ruled by the British, um, and then it was sort of handed over by the Chinese. But then sort of an interesting thing is it's still 
autonomous in in its way because yes. essentially the people who the people who were running the country before are probably still the people who are running the country. Mm. Um, and I I think at this stage, I mean, there's there's some debate about you know you know, about sort of the inherent kind of nationalism of the protests in a sense that, oh, well, maybe the protesters are just going, pushing for, you know, you know, pushing to for Hong Kong to just become mm. like it was before. But I think it's a bit more complicated that in, in the sense that um, my view is I think that China doesn't really have a necessarily much of an interest in, just from my assumptions, necessarily much of an interest in controlling Hong Kong, especially in terms of the reforms of um of China as Oh, I don't know. I would no, disagree I don't know, get, with you on that no, one. No, no, get yeah, um get let me finish my yeah. point. Okay. The point is I think the, the the fact that the ruling party's pro Beijing is the fact that they would benefit from getting more of to have put more of China's laws in, into place into Hong Kong in order to mm. sort of, you know, curtail sort of, you know, political freedoms, etc. Um, more or less to sort of continue the project of Hong Kong as being a trading city, of being a neoliberal kind of economic kind of project. Mm. That's what I mean by I don't think China has not really much of a necessarily interest okay. um, yep. because if they if they wanted to just go take over the city completely, um, oh, they certainly they, could. They yeah. could. It's um, definitely in their financial interest to keep it as this kind of conduit. Yeah. Well, the financial yeah. interest is in the people who are currently running the country yes. who are pro Beijing. So that's just my. I could be yeah. a bit off base, but that was sort of just a bit of analysis I sort of had just from reading the dynamics of, of what's going on, and that sort of precedes the fact that um, there's sort of this. Uh, um, I guess the kind of political demands of the movement would be you know, to turn Hong Kong into an independent sort of liberal democratic country, um, possibly similar to Singapore. Um, but, of course, Singapore is not necessarily a good model for, you know, civil rights and civil liberties. So it's all, I think, a bit complicated and it's... um. And it's a bit sort of hard to determine what mm. kind of left-wing kind of political project could develop out of Hong Kong as a result of these protests, um, because of the the dynamics of what where Hong Kong um, what Hong Kong is as being a the, trading city. The people and culture as well are very very different to the main mainland. They do definitely see them as different. Uh, they see themselves as different to mainland China because mm. of the separation that they have experienced. Um, uh, yeah, they they are definitely an outspoken um, culture. They don't they're not afraid to, to to mean what they say, say what they mean. So it's very interesting to watch. I mean, China walks a fine line between uh, trying to gain control of Hong Kong, but also leaving it, as you said, as an economic entity unto itself, which benefits mm. um, you know benefits Beijing. Yeah, yeah. because um, because because, uh, because it's, I think it's one of the sort of ports that is sort of open. Mm. One of the sort of the, in the, um, one of the sort of economic sort of zones that is sort of open in terms of the, a lot of the um, lot market of, reforms that um, China has um, sort of implemented um, since um, after the, the Cultural Revolution. Mm. So yeah, I think that's um, yeah. So I think that's just my a bit of a bit of an analysis, but um, of of some of the the issues. But it is it it was sort of a bit hard just reading over what 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 is it about this bill that would have necessarily prompted such protest. Mm. Um, now I guess the next, um, Megan, you wanted to go on to your. Uh, yeah, well, there's actually a, um, a, a good article. So uh, Zane Alcorn has written um, for the latest Green Left Weekly, although I don't actually believe that this is in the, the latest issue, but it is online. 
um, and he's written. So the the, um, the title is um, uh, "What Do We Need to Avoid Hothouse Earth." Um, and it's about the latest um, report from Melbourne-based independent think tank Breakthrough National Centre for Climate Restoration. Um, the report is entitled Existential Climate-Related Security Risk, a Scenario Approach, and it provides graphic descriptions of what lies ahead if we don't immediately take action, and that's kind of the key thing. We have to immediately take action. Um, so it's endorsed by a retired admiral and former chief of the Australian Defence Force, Chris Barry, uh, who said in the forward of this report, um, a doomsday future is not inevitable, but without immediate drastic action, our prospects are poor. Are poor. We must act collectively. Uh, again, according to Barry, our intelligence and security services have a vital role to play and a fiduciary responsibility in accepting this ex- existential climate threat and the need for a fundamental different approach to its risk, risk management as central to their considerations and their advice to government. The implications far outweigh conventional geopolitical threats. So basically saying that, um, you know, intelligence um, organisations, etc., they need to take into account the fact that this um, this climate threat is a threat. It's a threat just as, as, you know, more of a threat, obviously, than terrorism and all that sort of stuff. Um, then Zane goes on to say, David Spratt, author of Climate Code Red and former fossil fuel executive Ian Dunlop, Uh, then described the phenomenon of scientific reticence and how climate scientists erring on the side of least drama has meant that scientific predictions in the climate change arena have consistently underestimated the severity of what actually transpired. Now, that comes into play with regards to... um, So scientists, by nature, are conservative in their uh, statements, uh, which is good for science because obviously we want to err on the side of caution and we want to make sure that everything is, you know, right before we get, you know, before we announce it. But the problem is with that communication that we've had for several decades about the environment and coming from a science background, I completely understand both sides. The problem is that with this sort of uh, uncertainty uh, couching uh, the language that scientists have used um, over the decades about the destruction of the environment, it's meant a complacency and a, perhaps a misunderstanding of the, the dire nature of the situation by the general populace. You know, if if scientists go, oh, we're a bit worried, we think that these these models predict blah, 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 and we think that there might be this and da, 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 it might not actually get through to the people just how dire the situation is. And so we are changing the language, and this is, a, you know, um, part of this report. Um, and it says, goes on to say, it presents a risk matrix of warning, uh, something like a safe work method statement for a high risk workplace, um, to map the likelihood of reaching a certain amount of warming under existing policy settings, in particular the Paris Agreement, which by the way, Paris Agreement changes is so moderate, like, they're so mild, and we're not even making that. We're not even actually um, committing properly to the Paris Agreement. Many countries aren't. Um, and the take-home message from this report is that the risk of reaching catastrophic outcomes rises exponentially beyond 1.5 degrees of warming. Once we get over 1.5 degrees of warming, we can't properly predict what's going to happen, but we know it's going to be catastrophic. Um, and, yeah, this is a fantastic article. Um, just some stats, um, you know, uh, things like, uh, um, let's have a look. See, the 
As projected by Zhu and Ramanathan, by 2030, carbon dioxide levels will have reached 437 parts per million, which is unprecedented in the last 20 million years, and warming will reach 1.6 degrees. Um, you know, things like sea levels will have risen, um, you know, 0.5 meters by 2050. That doesn't seem like a lot, but that's actually massive. And then. Maybe two point three, sorry, two to three meters by two thousand one hundred. If you can imagine sea level rising of two to three meters, most of your um, all, almost all of your、uh, coastal cities will be inundated, and a lot of countries, a lot of their cities are coastal. So. What's going to happen? I I can't believe that the inaction that we have, like this, this report is really good to actually、um, read, and I believe there's a link to the report in the article as well. So go onto the Green Left Weekly website and read Zane's article. It's actually, it's really good, but it's also really worrying. <laughs> yeah. Did you have anything else?、Uh, no, I would just I also need to play.、Um, I might just go play.、Um A song just quickly,、um, just mainly just get set up for、um, one of the first interviews we'll hopefully do because just need to get sort something out with that.、Um, so I'll just play "Survivor's Tale" by Les Thomas.、Um, but yeah, you're listening to Green Left Weekly Radio.、Um, it's 7:32 a.m. and on 8:55 a.m.
All right, you're, li- you're listening to Green Left Weekly Radio. That was Survivor's Tale by Les Thomas. Um, we're going to be um, linking in with the Steps to a Home um, 24-hour vigil. Um, just to explain a bit of a background, on, on Friday the 21st, um, which was today, <laughs> at midnight, um, the winter solstice, um, Joe Ciasiano, um is holding a Steps to the Home 24-hour vigil on the steps of the Victorian Parliament to highlight the issue of homelessness and housing security on the shortest and possibly one of the coldest days of the year and so we're going to be tuning in um, um, to talk to Joe Tascanio um, which I think he should be on the line now I just go okay all right good morning um, is this is Joe on the line I'm afraid it is. Yes. <laughs> Thank you, Joe. Good. Um, so I just um, had introduced you um, before. So, yeah, can you tell us, um, maybe give a bit of um, a background and tell us about, you know, why you've hold the Steps to Home and sort of what kind of what's happening on there on, at the Parliament House? Well, look, uh, since December 2016, we've been involved in a very simple campaign that we want uh, stamp duty revenue on residential properties to be quarantined for public housing. $6 billion per year is collected by the state government. That's not million billion dollars per year, mm. which is uh, put into basically construction of roads and infrastructure. Now, we have a housing crisis in the city, and the whole purpose of holding this 24-hour vigil outside the Victorian State Parliament, which started at midnight on the 21st, which will end at midnight tonight, is to highlight that issue on the coldest and the... Uh, Weightest day of, and shortest day of the year. And the six billion dollars is very simple. If you allocated six billion dollars to public housing every year, you could house every homeless person in Victoria in spot housing within four weeks. You could house the 100,000 people on the waiting list for public houses in a year. And you could house one million Victorians in public housing within uh, a decade. That means people would have, uh, would be paying 25% of their income for secure stable accommodation they can actually rear their children so it's a very simple campaign we need bodies here and we need food and we need drinks and we'll be here till midnight tonight excellent that's uh that, those are some pretty um sobering statistics there you know um can you maybe comment on um so the andrews um budget came out recently and just looking at that budget it's to anyone who maybe understands the the housing issue, it was a pretty senseless budget in that there wasn't much for in the way of, um, you know, public housing, but there was a stupid amount for prisons. And I just wanted to maybe um, understand. I mean, there there has been a lot of research in that um, uh, the the provision of uh, safe and stable public housing um, often takes people off the pathway into prison. Um, can you comment on the Andrews budget and and you know what? If Effects well, that look, might have. Yeah. yeah, it was very pathetic. 205 million for public housing yeah. after we pressured them before the last state election. Well, thank you for that. To privatise, they've been attempting to privatise what's left of the public housing sector, which about yeah. 3% of the Victorian population currently live in. It used to be about 15% mm. uh, into the private sector through so called community and affordable housing. Uh, there's tens of billions, almost $90 billion for infrastructure, but nothing for public housing. Now, public housing, mm. a strong public housing sector, uh, creates competition within the uh, housing market. It mm. uh, decreases rent because fewer people would need to rent in the private marketplace. 
it would decrease prices at the lower end of the market so more young people could actually afford to enter the uh, market, the marketplace, mm. the lower, lower level. It decreases crime, increase and uh, domestic and uh, violence because uh, the key, I think, to a lot of people's uh, uh, safety and uh, is to have secure, stable housing. Most importantly of all, and what people mm. forget is it provides secure housing for families which means the children can go to the same school, yes. they can meet, uh, have the same friends, they can meet, uh, they can be involved in the same sporting clubs over a, a formative period of their lives. Which, with the increase in rental, which without the uh, security of uh, tenure, which kids are not having these days. So I think it's a win-win mm. situation for the whole community. So the Andrews Labor government thinks, and I think they're quite correct. I think the public does not care because they think public housing is just for homeless people. Public housing mm. is everybody's business. It is for everybody. And when it was introduced in the 1940s and early 1950s in Victoria, it was for people who could not afford to buy a house. It wasn't just for people in desperate situations, which it is today. Mm. Absolutely. And, um, yeah, Joe, I think another kind of thing is um, one of the, guess, the important parts of of um, this vigil is highlighting that I, I think you know we're coming into this kind of very cold winter, and I think in I'm, I want to see I want to hear some of your comments on the kind of general state of homelessness and um, rough sleeping, um, and you know what what you think are some of the things you know besides you know building more public housing of course um, that could be could be done and what are the some of the things that you're trying no, to... No, no, you, you, don't, you, you don't need to build public housing. In the 80s and 90s, we spot-purchased housing in the private marketplace. Mm. You could actually solve homelessness within a month by mm. spot-purchasing properties around Victoria and Melbourne. I mean, all these so-called wraparound services, all they do is uh, encourage the creation of a homeless industry, which is making hundreds of millions of dollars from the homeless every year. Mm. What homeless people need initially is secure stable housing then you can appoint case managers to help them address the problems they face now tonight last night when we were sitting here in the cold you know standing in the cold over 200 people were crowded in the floor in the salvation army hostel less than 50 meters from us there are people sleeping rough in alleyways and we found it bitterly cold last night and we're well rugged up you know and we don't have to suffer yeah. this every night. And the whole point, you're quite right, of having this on the winter solstice was to highlight the plight of homeless people in midwinter in Melbourne. And it is an increasing issue. But the dilemma is, if you have wraparound services, you only give money to wraparound services and private organisations like uh, religious organisations to provide so-called relief for homeless people, you don't actually tackle the problem at its root. And you can just spot yeah purchase property and house people within a few weeks. Very simple, not hard. No, it's de- definitely, um, and we know that the answer all around the world and, and the solution to this is literally safe, stable housing first and then address all of the other um, problems after that. 
That that's absolutely amazing. Thank you so much for this, and, and also thank you uh, for putting pressure on the governments about this. I think um, yeah. I I wonder also, um, you know, because you said that um, mm. we previously had fifteen uh, percent public housing, etc., and how that actually makes the housing market competitive, etc. Rents will go down. Do you think that there is a reticence within the government to implement such um, strategies because of the rents going down and because of the fact that their rich mates will actually lose some revenue from their investment properties, etc.? No, I think I think I think the reticence from the government is the fact that the public believes that public housing is only for the desperate. Mm. They don't understand that in most European countries, public housing is safe, secure housing for people who cannot afford to buy and who cannot afford to rent in the private marketplace. So if we want this government to change its policy, we need, over the next three and a half years, we need hundreds of people here on the steps of the Victorian Parliament. There are a number of members of the Legislative Assembly who are in, and, and, and council that are interested in what we're doing, but unless direct pressure is placed on the Andrews government to make public housing a public issue, nothing will ever change. And I am basically directing uh, my appeal to 3CR listeners. It's all very well to have an academic viewpoint about what needs to be done, but what we need from now till midnight is people to come here, even for a half an hour, or an hour and stand with us to highlight that this is the critical public issue of the decade. Mm, absolutely. Yeah, so for listeners, um, the, the Steps to a Home 24-hour vigil is, is happening right now um, at, mm. the, at the Parliament House, which is just off... Top end of Spring Street, yeah. I thought it was Berkin Street. Berkin Street. Uh, Berkin, Berkin, yeah, Street. Top end of Berkin Street. Top end of Berkin Street. Yep, Street. So, um, it, and, um, Maybe get there before work, you know, go and give them some um, some help. And even after work, on your lunch break, etc., just go up and support them. Yeah, we're, we're here them. till yeah. midnight. We're here midnight, till midnight, absolutely. Or even, yeah, go after work. <laughs> go after work. Hour. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. And also, as well as the Steps to a Home initiative, what is something else that um, the average person can do to highlight the issue and to force the Andrews government and the federal government to do something about this? Well, they can bombard their local state members' emails, they can knock on their door, they can make appointments, because while the, the government of the day and the opposition think that public housing is of no interest to anybody, nothing will Agreed. Yeah. So they need to put the pressure on. It's not about clicking a button on an internet site. It's about feet on the ground and it's about people making the effort to let the 88 members of the Legislative Assembly and the 40 members of the Legislative Council know that this is the most important issue of the day, not digging tunnels and widening roads. Mm, Absolutely. I mean, also just um, as, as, um, as part of that, um, I think a lot of people don't realise that when we provide safe and stable housing to a whole range of people, we actually in the end save a lot of money. Um, even from just a fiscal um, perspective, safe and stable housing for a big part of the community means that we have reduced health needs, reduced uh, mental and physical health needs. We have, um, you know, redu- as you mentioned, reduced crime. Um, you know, we have safe and stable and continuous um, education for our children. We raise a better community. 
And these sorts of things, not only do they save money, but they also invest in our community's future. And that's an absolutely important thing that we have to remember. Safe and stable housing for everybody, which includes public housing, is, a, is an investment in our community's future as well. So, yeah, thank you so much for doing this. This is an absolutely brilliant initiative. Yep. Um, um, just a last announcement. Um, between 10.30am um, to 11am, um, FreeCR will be crossing live again to um, the Steps to a Home. So um, for any listeners um, who are listening, um, you can tune in there to um, find out, um, to hear more about the Steps to a Home vigil. Um, and well, also, we'll just go to the yep. Facebook page, Public Housing, everybody's business. You go to the Facebook page, you'll see what's going on. Is there any, um, for people who maybe not uh, not here um, in Melbourne, etc., who might not otherwise be able to get to the vigil, is there any way that they can help by donating? Do you have anything like a, um, do, do you have an initiative? No, look, well, look, we're not interested in money. We're interested mm. in people. Great. And we'll be doing, we've been going since December 2016. We'll be... We have weekly uh, vigils here in the steps. We'll increase that as time goes on, as the number of people increase. What we need is people to make this the significant public issue. To me, infrastructure is not a significant public issue. A social infrastructure, which is public housing, yeah. and to create a cohesive community, as you suggested, is the significant, most important public issue. And as you suggested, once again, it has huge ramifications in creating a safer, secure society for everyone, the rich and the poor alike. I mean, nobody yeah. likes to step over homeless people, you know, on the footpath, and uh, this mm. is one way of addressing that issue. Absolutely. So basically, it, it affects us all, whether we are going to be a recipient of public housing or not. This, this kind of thing affects us all in the long term. That's right. And that's why yeah. the campaign is public housing, everybody's business. Absolutely. While people think it's just about homelessness, nothing will change. No. Um, so we're winding up the interview. Is there anything that you would like to say, Joe, um, in summation um, about the cause and about the Steps to a Home um, initiative? Well, uh, next every month um, we change the time we have the vigils, but next Thursday uh, we'll have just a one-hour vigil from 11.30 to 12.30. And if they keep their eye on the uh, Facebook page, uh, Public Housing Everybody's Business, or Defending and Extend Public Housing, uh, there'll be uh, information about uh, vigil in July and August. This is an ongoing four-year campaign. It started in December 2016. It's, we did a 10-day vigil on the steps of Parliament House just before the election, and we will continue this campaign until the idea of public housing is taken up seriously by the community as well as the government. It's not just a community issue. Mm. It's not just a government issue. It's a community issue. No pressure from the community, no change in government policy. Absolutely, and that's the way grassroots movements work. We have to, we have to create the pressure, don't we? That's fantastic. That's thank right. you so much. We really appreciate well, it. Thank you for the opportunity to speak to your billions of listeners. Oh, of absolutely. Radio 3. And did you get your total for the Radio 5? I believe we did. We made our target. Isn't that fantastic? Excellent. Yeah, but um, we've got to see about the whole $250,000 total for the whole station, yeah. but we're working hard, don't you worry. And um, okay, you keep up be. your great work as well. And we'll we'll be over live um, later in the day from 3CR as well. Yes, we're expecting Kelly at 10.30 if she wakes up. Fantastic. <laughs> Thank you so much um, and uh, keep up the good work. Well, Kelly was here for about five hours and then she's gone off for a few hours for a tip, so hopefully she 
back here at Ted. All oh, the best. excellent. Bye-bye. All the best. Bye. Okay, bye. All right, that was um, Joe Tuscano. Tuscano, um, yes, um, for the, with um, the Steps for a Home initiative um, at the Parliament. Uh, Steps of Parliament, uh, top end of Spring and Burke Street. Uh, they are going to be there until midnight tonight, so drop down um, and show your support. And he's absolutely right. We do have to make this an issue because it's the only way that we're going to pressure the government into actually making some significant uh, headway in this issue. Yeah. All right, so I'm just going to go play. Um, I might play a quick uh, announcement and then we'll move on to some more news and some announcements. Shall I might play the mic true, actually. <laughs> You are listening to Green Left Radio on the Friday morning breakfast show, broadcast live on 3CR Radio, 855 AM digital and streaming live on 3cr.org.au. Green Left Radio is brought to you by the Green Left Weekly newspaper, providing a weekly source of alternative information which aims to inspire action to put people and the environment before profit. Subscribe to Green Left Weekly by visiting the website at greenleft.org.au or call 1-800-634-206. For new subscribers, it's only $10 for the first seven issues. All right, you're listening to Green Left Weekly Radio. It is um, 7.53 a.m. Um, now, I guess a few things I want to start off with um, is um, what a, uh, I just want to give an announcement about um, our... about the current status of the Radiophon. Um, I'd like to thank everyone who donated to the show um, because we basically have met our target. Yes. Um, in fact, Greenleaf well, Radio has um, met their target. Yes. I think we've made over a thousand and a hundred thousand fifty three. Oh, that's good. No, 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 a thousand fifty three. I think. Yeah. Thousand eleven. Uh, one one five three. How do you pronounce that? <laughs> one thousand one hundred eleven. One hundred eleven. Yes, and um, I think there's actually another uh, extra hundred because I, I got an extra lo- a hundred in cash which I need to bring into FreeCR from someone else. So <laughs> oh, that's great. Um, so thank um, you. I target an, an, to another hundred. So like um, so like to yeah, definitely thank everyone who donated to show. Um, overall, FreeCR is up to a hundred fifty thousand of our two hundred fifty thousand target. Um, so if you meant to you know, donate and forgot, it's not too late. Um, we can take um, your calls now during business hours, which is 03-9419-8377, or go mm-hmm. online on freecr.org.au um, forward slash donate. So it's really, really important. Um, if you have the means, please donate because independent voices, independent radio are so important. Um, as, as Joe and his initiative show, um, we give voice to the people who need it the most and we um, help promote uh, grassroots issues that might not necessarily be um, uh, presented at all on in corporate media or maybe presented in a not favourable um, light in corporate media. So we have to be the voice of people who, of the independent um, media, basically. Yeah, yep. so please do donate. All right. Um, I think maybe um, instead of just doing a, a news story, I um, might just play um, a, a song up, um, to take up some time and then we'll move into the activist calendar and then move into our in- final interview for the program. Um, so we'll go play Poetry um, by Text um, by Alice Skye.
protests and rallies um, with the activist calendar. So the first event I'd like to announce is um, there's going to be a speak out, no new coal, stop Adani, declare climate emergency, join Extinction Rebellion for a speak out in occupation as we take our message to the streets of Melbourne and demand our government declare climate emergency. So it'll be happening at 5.30pm at the Burke Street Mall in the city. I'll be there. Um, and they'll be on... On also happening will be the Winter Solstice um, Mobile Street Party um, for Julian Assange. It will raise the students no end to know that here in his hometown we'll be sending him good rides direct from the streets, and they'll be happening from 8 p.m. to midnight at the Sydney Road um, at Sydney Road in Brunswick. Um, and obviously the Sepstra Home 24-hour Winter Solstice Public Housing Vigil will be um, is happening and will go on till midnight, and that's just at the Parliament Steps and String Street. <laughs> Um, on Saturday, June the 20, um, 22nd, there's a closed swap party for women's rights. Support women in low-income countries in their fight for better working conditions. Clean out your wardrobes and come along to our clothes swap. Bring your pre-loved clothes or a small donation if you still want to update your wardrobe. So that'll be happening from 11am to 2pm at the Industrial School, Abbotsford Covent, Covent. And that'll be at 1 St. Helers Street in Abbotsford. Um, there'll be a rally, Justice for Courtney Heron, um, and Violence Against Women, um, happening at 12 noon at the State Library, 328 Swanson Street in the city. Um, there'll be, uh, an, uh, and they're also, that's 12, yeah, 12 p.m. in the State Library. Um, and then there'll be afterwards, there'll also be a rally and, um, stand in solidarity with Sudan at 2 p.m. at the State Library, 328 Swanson Street in the city. And the next thing on Friday, June the 28th, um, there'll be a public forum, Abolish Detainment Facilities, um, at 12 to noon to 3 p.m. at the Victoria University City Campus, 300 Flinders Street in the city. Um, and then there'll be a Doncaster Rail mock opening. Join us for a mock opening of Doncaster Rail. Our politicians are jeopardising the potential for rail transport to Doncaster with the North East Link. We are taking this issue into our own hands, um, from, and that'll be happening at 7.30 a.m. to 
9am at the Doncaster Park and Ride and Don off Doncaster Road in Doncaster. I pass on to Megan. Okay, so Saturday, June the 29th to Sunday, June 30th, the Melbourne Stoppers Adani Assembly is happening, and that is at uh, 44 Errol Street in North Melbourne. On Saturday, June the 29th, there's the Big Red Book Fair, 10am to 5pm at Trades Hall, 54 Victorian Street, uh, Victoria Street, Carlton South. It's hosted by the New International Bookshop. So if you love red lefty books, um, you will love that. Uh, there's a forum also on Saturday the 29th, The Hard Right in Australia. Dominic T- Kelly talks to Guy Rundle, uh, and that's 1pm Trades Hall Meeting Room 1. And again, that's 54 Victorian Street, Carlton South, and it's hosted by the new International Bookshop. Uh, on Friday, July the 5th, uh, we have the 2019 Victorian NADOC March, 9am pre-March Festival, 10.30am March, Victorian Aboriginal Health Service, 186 Nicholson Street in Fitzroy. On Saturday, July the 6th, Start the Riot, 3CR Radiothon Punk Fundraiser is on, 8pm, uh, $12 admission, $18, uh, sorry, $12 admission, $8 um, uh, unwaged concession, and that's at Bar 303, in, and that's 303 High Street in Northcote, so and that's part of the 3CR um, Radiothon fundraiser initiatives. Um, from Wednesday, July the 10th to Sunday, July the 21st, uh, at the Theatre The Bacay, a new heartbreakingly truthful exploration of the Bacchus uh, myths, the Bacchae myths, steeped in ritual and rebellion that puts women's rights at the forefront. That's at La Mama Courthouse, 349 Drummond Street in Carlton. Uh, Wednesday the 10th of July, we have the conference, Fair Go for Pensioners, and that's 9am to 4pm at the Greek Orthodox Church, 23 to 29 Victorian Street, Victoria Street, Coburg. Uh, there's a public meeting also on Wednesday, July the 10th, Orly Noi, a Mizra response to Zionism. Orly Noi is a prominent Israeli journalist and activist, a theatre at State Library. Um, this is happening, um, 179 Latrobe Street in the city, and it's hosted by uh, the Australian Jewish Democratic Society. Uh, from Wednesday, July the 17th to Sunday, July the 28th, uh, we have uh, another theatre um, event, A Room of One's Own, today with campaigns such as Me Too, Time's Up and Now Australia. A Room of One's Own by Virginia Woolf shines a light on our history with astounding relevance to contemporary society. Again, that's at La Mama Courthouse, 349 Drummond Street, Carlton. Uh, on Saturday the 20th of July, we've got Rally, Six Years Too Long, Close Manus and Nauru, Bring Them Here. That's at 2pm at the State Library, 328 Swanston Street in the city. On Sunday, July the 21st, we have the uh, Victorian Socialists uh, Members Conference, uh, and that's uh, to plan the next steps after the federal election for the party. So that's for um, Victorian Socialist Members, 9am to 5pm. The venue and the agenda will be uh, announced. Also on Sunday, July the 21st, we have a film screening Ella looks at the career of Ella Havelka, uh, the first Indigenous dancer to be invited into the Australian ballet in its 50-year history. And that's at 6.30 at the Community Arts Centre, 45 Moreland Street, Footscray. 
Uh, and then also a little bit later in August, so this is um, Tuesday, August the 13th, we've got Dismantling the Digital Dystopia with Lizzie O'Shea and bon, uh, John Postel. Uh, so that's uh, so Tuesday, thirteenth of October at six pm, and that's at the New International Bookshop, uh, fifty four Victorian Street, Carlton, uh, Victoria Street, Carlton, um, and that is basically um, it's a discussion between Lizzie O'Shea and John Postel, which are two authors of new released newly released co- books covering issues surrounding activism and digital technology. Uh, together they'll discuss what history can tell us about both the potentials and pitfalls of digital technology in the struggle for a better world, and copies of both books um, will be available for purchase. Uh, and, oh, actually, finally, finally, sorry, I have missed one. Um, I, can't, I can't believe I missed this one. So Friday, July the 26th, Green Left Weekly's annual comedy debate. Don't worry, there is a Planet B. Uh, the MC will be Rod Quantock with Fiona Scott Norman, Hell Child, Kirsty Mack, Sean Bedlin, and Tom Tanuki will, will be uh, the comedians debating the, um, that premise. The doors open at 6.30. Um, the, the price is um, $50 solidarity, $30 um, waged, and 22 and 15 concession unwaged. That's at the Brunswick Town Hall, Sydney Road, Brunswick. Um, and for more information, please phone 9639 So that's um, one of Green Left Weekly's major fundraisers here in Melbourne. Um, and that helps to um, basically raise revenue for the publication, which is an independent uh, left-wing um, newspaper. Hey. And that's it. Okay. Um, we'll play, um, maybe start playing a f- We'll play a quick, um, let me find, just let me find one announcement we haven't played yet. Um, yeah, I'll play a few quick announcements and then we'll move on to our, um, our second and final interview for the program with Karen Fletcher, um, to talk about, um, prisons, um, the issues of women's rights, etc., and the recent Victorian state budget. This is our country. <clears throat> we've never forgotten where we've come from. For who we are. We keep our culture strong. Now it's time to come together. Talk as equals. And write our own future. This is our country. And this is our time. Treaty is time. Enroll now for the First People's Assembly of Victoria election. Authorised by the Victorian Treaty Advancement Commission, Melbourne. Yeah, I spent three and a half years living on the street and I know what it's like to have no hope and not to feel a part of the society and I think that's where a lot of these people are. But I think we need to help people who are traumatised and help people get back on their feet and give them hope and help them um, feel like they're a part of the society again instead of just moving them on like they're an inconvenience. If it were not for ruminations, how would the views of those of us who have been homeless or are homeless, how would these views ever be aired? How would they ever be expressed? Subscribe to the station that gives airtime to people with a lived experience of homelessness. Support 3CR. Attention book lovers, the new International Bookshop is hosting our annual Big Red Book Fair. Come down to the Trades Hall in Carlton on Saturday the 29th of June from 10am to 5pm. 
As always, the book fair features thousands of books across all genres, all radically priced. There's also a barbecue and a showcase of radical posters. In order to make this fundraiser a success, we are calling for book donations now. So if you have books that need a new home, please get in contact via the website at nibs.org.au or on 9662 3744. That's 9662 3744. The new international bookshop, a 3CR supporter. All right, you're listening to Green Left Weekly Radio. Um, it is 8, well, 8.10 a.m. Um, and on the line we have Karen Fletcher. Um, Karen Fletcher is a community lawyer, I think, with the Fitzroy Legal Service and also a member of, a board member of Flat Out, which is, I think, a community, a kind of organisation that helps, um, w- sort of, um, supports women who are in prison. Um, now, I guess, uh, we have Karen on to talk about the kind of issues um, associated with um, the prison system, um, especially in regards to the Victorian state budget. So, good morning, Karen. Good morning. Good morning. Um, so, um, what can you, um, in term, what can you, to start it off, can you tell us about um, the Victorian state budget in terms of like um, its sort of increased funding for prisons and why that's um, very problematic? Yeah, well, so the budget, um, the state budget included uh, an extraordinary amount of money to build new prisons, $1.8 billion, mm. um, and that will pay for 1,600 new prison cells in Victoria, uh, which is, I mean, 1,600 is extraordinary in itself, but uh, oh, yeah. the fact that there's 1,600 new cells means that they'll be, you know, it, it enables... Um, tens of thousands more prisoners to go through the prison system uh, because we've got a situation in Victoria at the moment where uh, there are thousands of people going to prison um, on remand, which means they haven't been sentenced, but they haven't been granted bail um, because of a big crackdown on bail. So we've got this enormous increase in um, people going in for short term into prison. Uh, Some of them are never sentenced um, because... Uh, Sorry, Karen, I'm just going to interrupt you a little bit there. Um, We're just having some technical issues. Are you able to speak a little bit louder um, just so we can hear you a little bit better? Karen? Yes, is that better? Yes, a little bit better, yes. Thank you. Yes, I'm sorry my phone is not the best. No, that's okay. Please please do continue. So, um, I'm not sure... um well, you could hear me too, but I, I think, look, essentially the point is that the budget includes an enormous amount of money for prisons. Yes. Uh, yeah. $1.8 billion for 1,600 new prison cells. Um, but the, the Victorian government, since it um, came to power, the, like the government came to power in 2014, has uh, increased prison capacity in Victoria from 6,400 cells to, um, this budget will bring it up to 10,000 cells. Mm. And um, we understand that there are more plans to build more prisons, even beyond what has what is in this budget. For example, there are um, tenders already going out around a new women's prison in the Morwell area. Uh, so this is a real prison-building government. Um, mm. uh, and I, I was saying, I'm not sure if you heard, but that one of the reasons why they uh, are building more prisons, um, they say, is because of capacity issues, they've got overcrowding, and the reason that the prisons are so overcrowded, one of the big reasons, 
is the big crackdown that the Victorian government has done in relation to getting bail for people who are facing charges but haven't been sentenced or haven't had their trial. Uh, it's become very, very difficult for people to get bail. Uh, so a lot of people, and particularly affect women, um, are being sent to prison for relatively short periods of time, under a month or under two months. Mm. Uh, but there's a big churn of people going through. So whilst we're seeing, you know, 1,600 new cells being built with this money, that will effectively mean tens of thousands of extra people going through the prison system in um, the next coming years because of the um, the churn of people uh, going in for short sentences. And uh, so just on that note, I know that there is... Um uh, just uh, some initiatives to try and stop jail time for unpaid fines, etc. Um, I know that the effects on women, um, a lot of these women who go in for these short stints, etc., they're often looking after children, they're the ones that manage the households, etc. So they face, um, you know, ramifications of this jail time for, for things like unpaid fines, um, your homelessness, uh, they face, um, you know, their children being taken away from them and other negative ramifications. It's basically breaking apart communities for unpaid fines and, and minor things like that. Can you um, comment on that and um, and that effect uh, on women in communities? Yeah, well, look, Victoria doesn't have quite the same problem as Western Australia does in relation to going to prison for unpaid fines. Mm. But women are going to prison for, um, for non-violent offences. The vast majority of women who go to prison, and in fact across the prison system, people who go to prison are there for drug-related offences. Mm. Um, and in women's case, there's plenty of evidence to show that the drug-related offending, which is either you know um, dealing in drugs or um, perhaps stealing or fraud to support a drug habit, uh, is related to trauma. A huge proportion of women who end up in the prison system have suffered uh, childhood trauma and trauma as an adult, including a lot of suffered sexual assault and use uh, drugs to medicate you know, the kind of mental health issues that can come from, from a lot of trauma. Um, so that's a big problem, people going to prison simply because of their mental health issues and their you know, post-traumatic stress disorders. Mm. Um, and now the issue with women, as you say, is that you know, the majority of women who are sent to prison are mothers. Um, and so if you have a big churn of women going to prison, you know, thousands of women across a year, that's thousands of kids who mother is uh, not available to take care of them. Um, And the the flow-on effect from that is a big upsurge in uh, kids in care. So Mm. in the foster system, um, in institutions, uh, in kinship care, etc. And then you've got that cycle carrying on again because the um, care system for children is so poor uh, in in Victoria and in other places that um, those children are suffering trauma in their lives and then we start the cycle again. So it's like a, 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 a snowball rolling down a hill, just gathering speed and gathering um, volume all the time, uh, carrying on this, you know, sort of prison-related trauma down through the generations. So it's a, it's basically with the, the budget, it's a case of the tail wagging the dog. So obviously we're expending a lot of 
uh, you know, resources and money into building these prisons. But we don't seem to be doing that much in um, stopping the pathways to prisons. I mean, we just talked to a public housing advocate um, and just talking about how the fact that safe, stable housing, you know, especially for, you know, women with families who have to look after children, um, it's one of the most effective pathways into stopping people from going into jail um, for these things. Um, what are the things that can we do, basically, to uh, to stop people going into jail what can the government do where the, where can the resources go to to stop or limit these um you know these jails becoming full to capacity because it seems to be a case of the tail wagging the dog yeah look uh, governments are addicted to prisons and uh you know angela davis has done a lot of work um in the united states about why the prison system has become so out of control in the united states and we could do similar work here in Australia. You know, mm. um, Australian governments have been addicted to prisons ever since they essentially used them. You know, the prison islands to um, to control Aboriginal people and stop resistance to colonisation. Mm. Um, it's a mindset. Uh, it's a, it's a method of control, and um, and that's you know this is that's made really clear by this budget because this budget puts 1.8 billion dollars into prisons. But, um, you know, a fraction of that into social housing. So they've got 1,600 new prison cells in the budget, but they've only got 1,000 social housing units. And as mm. your housing person no doubt talked about, the money that they're spending on social housing, they're actually putting it in, giving it to private developers to, yeah. to develop that. Um, yeah. So that, that priority is very clear. It is a, a complete mindset. So... My view, uh, my personal opinion is that the only way we're going to change this is the way that they're changing it and starting to change it in the United States, which is to actually um, change the public's mindset about prison so that when they think about um, things that they consider to be offending, drug use, uh, and those sorts of things, um, our first thought is not prison. Our mm. first thought is let's get these people housed so that they can look after, we can look after our families, we can get ourselves, you know, um, organised and uh, economically viable. Uh, we can start to build a life for ourselves. We can deal with the trauma, with help, you know, counselling, mental health mm. services, etc., so that we're not um, that this trauma is not passed on to our kids. But the, this budget shows absolutely the opposite set of yeah. priorities. Instead of um, putting the vast amount of, you know, putting the majority of money into social services and housing that big lumps of money are going into prisons and police. And why do you think, um, I mean... This is, uh, the Andrews government is seen as a, you know, a quite progressive government, but even they are doing this kind of illogical, uh, you know, punitive, we'll put resources to punitive measures and we won't put resources into community investment. Um, this has been going on for a long time. Why do you think government, you know, governments ignore the science and the research on, uh, this sort of thing? Because the, the science and the research absolutely Inequivocally, unequivocally shows that in we, when we invest in communities and when we invest in that kind of rehabilitation, support, etc., the pathways to prison reduce. Why do you think they do that? Look, as I said, I think it's an international phenomenon, and it's really revved up, you know, with neoliberalism, with the yeah. with the with the um, commitment to reducing spending on social um, need. Uh, where you do that, the, the, the way that they um, psychologically, governments are selling, you know, that neoliberal agenda is yeah. we'll deal with the social problems 
i.e. rising drug use and mental health issues, etc., by building more prisons. And that's been very successful for governments, including the um, Victorian government, the ALP and the um, coalition here. Uh, it's been extremely successful selling this sort of protection racket. We'll protect you from social problems by building, mm-hmm. by spending more money on police and prisons. Um, and that's why you should vote for us. And it's a cycle that they can't get off. Until we start to say prisons don't work, um, they actually produce more trauma and, and social problems than, uh, than they solve. They don't solve them at all. Until we start to question that underlying um, uh, mindset uh, and campaign in, amongst the public against these prisons, don't build more prisons, uh, you know, reduce the number of people in prison, don't imprison people for non-violent offences, treat drug addiction and uh, trauma with mental health services and homes, etc., etc., We've got to change that at the grassroots and change this attitude to prisons being a necessary thing to deal with all the, you know, the risks posed by, by, um, but by these thousands of people who are going to prison. You know, the, the media helps, of course. All this yeah. high-profile coverage of very serious, um, you know, criminal offending right at the top of the scale by a very small number of men, usually. Um, that's what makes the papers, and that's what's used to justify prisons. But the reality mm. on the ground is the vast majority of people who are going in are for non-violent offending, and this is particularly the case for women, um, and, you know, really would be much better... Um, the issues would be much better addressed with public housing, mental health services, etc. Absolutely. We've got a, yeah. We've got a, a... You know, people are very scared of prison abolition or decarceration as a, a campaign um, in, uh, in Australia. In the United States huge and it's starting to have some impact. They are starting to close some prisons. Uh, They are starting to reduce expenditure on prisons and bring the prison populations down, partly because the money that that governments are spending on prisons in the United States are reaching the stage where Mm. they virtually have no money for anything else, you know, and there's a few legislators um, who are starting to realise that and wind things back. But that's after decades of campaigning by abolitionists and decarceration activists. Yeah. Um, which is, you know, we just haven't reached that stage in Australia yet. It's still considered a bit fringe to be a president. I mean, one question I just want to quickly ask you, Karen, is though there is, what about the kind of issue of, of private industry? Um, mm, because, you know, we've been, been talking about, um, about a lot about the government and the role they play, but what about the kind of role, can you comment a bit on the role of private industry in a sense that, you know, there's certain private contractors who would actually benefit from these sort of prisons being built because it, you know, creates because there's a lot of privatisation of, pri- of the prison system. Absolutely, yeah, you're right. I mean, that's the other side of the coin. Governments have been using this, you know, as a way of getting elected by by, by sort of frightening people and saying they're going to protect people with all these prisons and police. The other side of it is there's a massive, massive industry worldwide uh, with a handful of companies who are providing so-called Security services for for prisons, but also for immigration detention and mm. uh, mercenary forces you know, in the Middle East and all sorts of uh, functions, um, which are making an absolute fortune. And you know, the figures show that once you start to privatise prisons anywhere, the numbers of prisoners go through the roof because, of course, the more prisons there are in the system, the more profit there is to be made. Yeah. Um, and so there's a big pressure on governments from this lobby, which is an extremely powerful lobby in the capitalist system to provide all these security services, uh, you know, to 
uh, make it hard to get bail, abolish parole, um, make sentences longer, have harsh sentences. All of those policies actually lead to greater profits for them. Absolutely. Uh, You can can see that, you know, in your stock market, as the law and order policies get tougher and tougher, the prison operators... um, Profits go higher and higher. All to the detriment of our community. Um, Karen, we're, we're um, winding up the interview. I'm just wondering if there's anything that you wanted to say to sum up your position and what you do, um, just for the listeners. Yeah, well, um, as I said in my intro, I'm, I'm on the board at Flat Out. We're a little community service that um, supports women uh, coming out of prison, it's women and their kids coming out of prison. Um, check us out on Facebook, uh, like our page. Um, we are always in need of uh, support by activists, by people who want to volunteer, uh, financial support, of course, and uh, we really need to build this counterweight in Victoria at the moment because uh, there's, um, you know, there's prisons being built all over the state, a huge one in Lara, there's a new youth detention mm. centre being built near Werribee, there's you know, an extension of the Dane Phyllis Frost Women's Prison and another probable women's prison on the books for Morwell. So women will be even further away from their kids and less likely to get visits. Uh, this is a huge time for um, prison escalation in Victoria and um, really encourage people to get in touch with us and other anti-prison organisations uh, to uh, get involved in trying to turn this around. Fantastic. That's Karen Fletcher from Flat Out and um, like them on Facebook. Thank you very much, Karen, and please keep up your um, activism. It's absolutely needed for the community. Thank you. Thanks for having me. See you, Megan. See, See ya. ya. See you, Jacob. See ya. Okay. All right. That was um, Karen um, Fletcher from Flat Out. Um, we're getting close to, well, we're getting very close to the end of the program. Two minutes, yep. Um, we've got two <laughs> minutes left. Um, so I'd just like to thank all our listeners and guests for tuning in to the program. Um, don't forget um, that we're still raising money for the Radiophone. Absolutely, um, so donate. If you, if you haven't um, donated yet, um, please consider doing so. Um, you can do so by going to the website, freecr.org forward slash donate, or call in at 94198377. I'll just, I'll just correct you, it's freecr.org.au forward slash donate. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so please um, keep up that um, donation stream. Uh, now, Beyond Zero Emissions is coming up now, so that's um, in all the new news and latest of what's happening in the environment sector. So stick around for that. Right. And, um, yep, see you um, Have a great weekend. Week. Oh, and also don't forget uh, the rally, the Extinction Rebellion rally uh, today, 5.30 at Bo- uh, Burke Street. <laughs> This brings us to the... You have been listening to Friday Morning Breakfast with Green Left Radio. Brought to you by the Green Left Weekly Newspaper, which provides a weekly source of alternative information which aims to inspire action to put people and the environment first. If you would like to subscribe to the newspaper and get it delivered to your door, you can do so by visiting the website at greenleft.org.au or call 1-800-634-206. For new subscribers, it is only $10 for the first six issues. Repeats of the show and interviews are podcasts on our homepage on the 3CR website. Thank you for listening. You are tuned in to 3CR Community Radio, 855 Digital on the AM dial and streaming live on 3cr.org.au. to start sometime. What better place than here? What better time than now? 
That was um, poetry by text by Alice Sky. All right, so now it is time for we're getting into well, it's about to hit eight eight a.m. in like twenty seconds time, and we'll get started by announcing what's coming up in terms of activist events, 